This podcast comes to you from the Osteopathic Health Center in Dubai. Integrating health and wellness for the body, mind, and soul. Dr. Saida, it is my pleasure to host you on the All of You podcast. I have been trying to get you on this for a while, as you know. That's true. <laughs> um, and yes, you're very busy, which is a testament to your popularity here at the clinic. Um, we've got so much to talk about. Uh, we're going to go into metabolic health. We're going to talk about functional medicine or integrative medicine. Um, but I really want to start with you because I'm really interested as to why you transitioned from being a medical doctor or a general practitioner into integrative or functional medicine. So maybe we can start with that. You know, what was the, what was the pull towards this more holistic or integrative approach to medicine from being, from being a medical doctor? Okay, I've been trained as a conventional medical professional or allopathic doctor, mm. right? But after a few years of practicing that model of medicine, actually, I realized that it's just, it's mainly about man managing the chronic conditions, not much improving their health. And um, and that actually was a, a, tur a turning point because when we, uh, like most of us, when we choose to go uh, into a medical field, we go with a dream to fix people's uh, health, right? And be part of that journey. But actually, I realized when I started practice uh, by myself, I realized that actually their health or wellness is a very complex topic and it's not something that can be fixed with uh, uh, one pill right so uh, that's why i came across of uh, functional medicine uh, model that has this kind of like more holistic uh patient centered and um and it's biology based and i'm still practice as a conventional medicine yeah. so i still uh, practice conventional medicine but in addition to that I practice functional medicine as well, which means, so functional medicine recognizes the importance of lifestyle, environment, uh, your uh, genetic predisposition, um, what else, your mental uh, well-being, right? So uh, it recognizes the importance of all those factors and their effect on your health and well-being. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. I think the marriage of being a, a general practitioner or a medical doctor, and uh, this this complement of functional medicine, it's it's the perfect combination in in the modern health landscape. And um, and I think being a general practitioner um, makes you a very good detective. It gives you lots and lots of knowledge and understanding of you know disease processes, um, and 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 you know biology, physiology, and all all of the all of the kind of the root of, uh, you know, kind of understanding the disease processes. But the difference, what I see between allopathic medicine and functional medicine is that functional medicine is the science of creating health, not just treating symptoms or, or treating disease. So it's not just firefighting when things go wrong. It's, it's trying to get people above the threshold of poor health and beyond so that they stay in good health. Um, and so yeah, I think it's the perfect combination to have, the, you know, that, that, that spectrum of skills. Um, so now that you are 
practicing integrative medicine, um, you know, let's talk about some of the things that you see very commonly in your practice, some of the conditions, some of the symptoms, some of the health challenges that you, you come across most commonly here in Dubai. If I uh, choose maybe top three, like yeah. first will be a metabolic health, right? But second, digestive system uh, issues. Yeah. And, and I think uh, mental health. Those are the three big three that are more common uh, in population, I would say. But especially here for us living in UAE, uh, metabolic health is number one. Metabolic health. Yeah. So let's just talk about metabolic health because I think metabolism can be a little bit of a mysterious word for people. So I I kind of call metabolism the, you know, it's described as the chemical processes inside our cells that transform what we eat and drink into energy. And you've got catabolism, which is the breakdown of things, and you've got anabolism, which is the building up of things. So that 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 could be so it's a very simplified explanation of what metabolism is. So metabolic health, what, how could we describe you know, metabolic health simply to people? What, what would you describe it as? Technically, it doesn't have its own definition, right? So I explain to my patient in exactly the same way as you do. Actually, I like uh, to tell them that basically healthy metabolism is efficient process of turning your food basically carbohydrates, fat, and protein into energy. So NAD and ATP, right? So, uh, but if we talk about metabolic health more like um, close to uh, practice, like clinical practice, so we would call someone who has, uh, let's say, uh, high blood pressure, mm. abnormal level of uh, glucose level, cholesterol, lipid profile, and certain measurements and waist circumference as having metabolic health, me metabolic issues, right? We would call that metabolic syndrome. Yeah. So, yeah. and uh, the, why we talk about this and why is it important? Because a metabolic health is a foundation of not only pre-diabetes, diabetes, right? Uh, mm. And obesity, mm. but it's, uh, it's something that can be leveraged to prevent other health conditions, right? Like cardiovascular events, uh, cancer, and actually like cognitive decline, right? And I would be right, I think, if I say aging in general. Yes, yes, absolutely. So there are there are there are kind of five factors which we look at to assess somebody's metabolic health. Like you said, increased body fat around the waist, so we call that abdominal obesity, and um, high triglycerides, so that's high levels of fat in the blood, low levels of what we what some people call um, good cholesterol, which is debatable, you know, high density lipoprotein, um, high blood pressure, and um, a high level of fasting blood sugar. So those five things, and a combination of those, would um, would, would would reflect uh, metabolic dysfunction or what you'd call metabolic syndrome. And it's interesting. I was looking at some stats, and it, it, they were showing that approximately twenty percent of the adult population globally have metabolic syndrome which is kind of shocking and in the uk it's around 40 percent, and in the us it's even more than that and that's the adult population it's quite frightening isn't it it is actually i just read a research that in u.s population 
oh, they can call metabolically healthy only 12% of adult population. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, yeah. It, is, it is quite alarming. And I think this really reflects the, mi- the mismatch between our physiology as humans and our modern day living environments because the way we are eating, the way we are moving, the way we are, the way we are handling stress or perceiving stress, all of these things are working against our, what I would call um, ancient biology, you know, because our physiology hasn't changed much in the last two million years in, in comparison to how much our environment has changed in the last 50, 60 years. So we're trying to traverse all of this madness, like you know, junk food, high levels of processed sugars, uh, you know, unhealthy fats, um, high stress levels, you know, through our kind of overwhelming burden of media and things like that, our poor sleep levels, um, our lack of activity, because technology and industrialization has literally taken away our need to move. So there's all of these things which are working against our natural tendencies as as humans. I call us still hunter-gatherers. <laughs> um, and so, you know, it is a slowly and insidiously and pervasive creep towards this, you know, kind of chronic dysfunction. And one of the issues is, is that people don't really notice it going on until they get, you know, measurements taken. So they can be struggling for years before they actually identify that their metabolic health is has fallen off a cliff. So let's talk about some of the early signs and symptoms that people would experience with poor metabolic health. You mentioned a very, very important point because for many years, this like metabolic syndrome might go on silent, yeah, right? Unnoticed, so yeah. not, unnoticed, exactly. So and the symptoms might be yeah some weight gain and fat accumulation distribution mainly around the waist right internal organs that would be one of the red flags yeah um i think if we're talking about symptoms that would be number one because all the other criteria are laboratory measurements and i really encourage all my patients actually no matter what age uh do the testing because um, regular health checkup is uh, extremely important, but done in the right way. If it's the only fasting blood sugar, we will miss a lot. We will miss because we need to first test fasting insulin as well, right? And I like to test glycolized hemoglobin as well because all those three points. And so it's the HbA1c exactly. Test, yeah. So the average, so that which reflects the average glucose level for past three four months, right? So because they all measure different things, right? So when uh, fasting glucose is very variable measurement, right? So this is more stable. So and I'm, I diagnosed many prediabetes. So when which would be missed with just fasting glucose yes. alone. And, and early detection is really a key because this uh, this is reversible condition. This is, I would say, almost 99% probably uh, really depends on our like lifestyle, right? Food we eat, uh, physical exercise, mm-hmm. sleep, stress, and, um, and it can be reversed. So, and potentially prevent many, many health issues in the future. Yeah. I think we've normalized a lot of the 
kind of the more the more subtle symptoms um, that people struggle with for many months and if and, and if not years, such as you know high blood sugar levels, high uh, high blood pressure, feeling sleepy after meals, craving for sugar, craving for sugar. I think it's very normalised now for people to have fat around their waist you know visceral fat and, and, and abdominal obesity even it's it, we've normalized this as we get aged we you know we say oh i'm getting older you know it's just just a part of getting older but it's not um but you know increased appetite irregular menstrual cycles and things like this we they, they seem to be so commonplace now um and i think it's important for us to mention pcos as well as 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 a as, as a a kind of a symptom or an issue um, with metabolic issues underlying that, yeah? Because lots of females struggle with PCOS, more so than ever now, yeah, PCOS. And younger people, right? So if we are talking about uh, uh, like metabolic uh, syndrome, it it usually will be someone uh, with older age, but if we are talking about PCOS, which is also like uh, the physiology of PCOS, one of the mechanisms is, uh, insulin resistance, right? So, or metabolic issues. So now we are talking about much younger population. Uh, so yeah, that's another way how um, uh, metabolic issue can present with a regular menstrual cycle, with fertility, right? Yeah, is um, uh, and talking about younger ages, childhood obesity is actually is actually um, becoming more prevalent quicker. Um, it's rising faster than adult. Um, you know, adult metabolic issues. So that's quite frightening. Do you see a lot of children in your practice? I see that actually. So, and the most frightening thing is, so the criteria fit into like adult type uh, diabetes. So type two diabetes, not type one diabetes as with like insulin dependent type of diabetes, but it's it's a life, uh, it's a type of diabetes that caused by lifestyle. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So with this kind of uh, rising burden of metabolic um, challenges, um, what would you suggest for people? How would you, how, what would you recommend? What are, the, what are the kind of easy wins or the low hanging fruit for people to, um, to prevent, to be able to you know, kind of live a life that pertains to good metabolic health? What would you recommend patients do first of all? So, you, you know, they've come to you, they've had tests, you've shared that their HbA1c is maybe, you know, 5.7 above, bordering 6, so they're kind of getting towards pre-diabetes. What lifestyle recommendations do you give them? Personally, I really love doing continuous glucose monitoring along with that because that helps to personalize dietary recommendations, right? Because... We're all different and we can get very different metabolic response to a different type of food. So that's why, of course, there is a common rules, more like more general advices I can give to my patient. But I prefer to personalize it for each individual patient. So I like to do that in my practice. But if we are talking about more general, so always dietary advices come first. And I'm, I'm not talking about avoid uh, simple carbs, like uh, avoid sweets, that is very intuitive, right? So that uh, like everyone knows that. But I talk to them about the patterns, how they form their meals, right? So right. first uh, comes the fiber, 
then your protein, then yes. your good, healthy uh, sources of fatty acids, and then your your carbohydrate, right? Even even if you crave something sweet, but you you had all the previous three, it's fine. You still can. I allow them. I allow them to uh, to have something. And also, actually, when they do the continuous glucose monitor, they see the actual numbers, mm. right? So, and they can discover, oh, just having a juice early in the morning is not good for me, right? Mm. Yes, of course, because juice is mainly fructose, very high in fructose, basically sugar, right? So I ask them to move that meal maybe after, like, or uh, one hour after their proper meal. They still can have it, but just not on an empty stomach. Uh, I ask them not to, I suggest them not to snack on carbohydrate and more to choose more like either um, protein, protein, protein and fats, exactly. So, and uh, obviously, uh, avoid late dinners because that impact the quality of sleep. Yeah. And I've seen that when they, again, on the uh, CGM, when they have large meal, glucose stays up all night, very grass, slowly re uh, coming down. And they would say to me, you know, doctor, I was like, my sleep was really bad because your glucose was very high. So sometimes uh, glucose might drop during the night, right? And can be a reason why they wake up at night. So, and can be the reason of interrupted sleep. So this is something also that continuous glucose monitor can uh, give a valuable piece of information. Yeah, yeah, I think it's brilliant. It's instant biofeedback, isn't it? When, when somebody can see the impact because if you're just relying upon the way you feel then it, it's it's certainly not as reliable as being able to see what your how your blood glucose is peaking and troughing um and with regards to food uh, you touched on a point there where you said eating late at night that can cause glucose spikes so meal timings is really important i i often recommend people have an eating window and research suggests that the earlier eating window is more effective at helping people manage their blood glucose levels, manage inflammation, get better sleep, because it's more tied into that natural circadian rhythm, the natural 24-hour sleep-wake cycle that we have as humans. So we wouldn't be eating late at night when there were, when there were predators around as, as hunter-gatherers. We would be sleeping and resting. So the body's naturally kind of winding down towards a more rest and digest state. Um, and we don't want to be processing lots of food when we're sleeping because it is a time for rest and repair not just digestion right um so sleep timings i think is is, is really important as well what, what's your opinions on exercise when it comes to trying to help or control metabolic health because there's a great belief that um we're not necessarily over fat we're under muscled a lot of you know there's a, a great a doctor doing the rounds at the moment called Dr. Gabrielle Leon, who is a real promoter of strength training. And she says a lot of the time, it's not that we're over fat, it's that we have not enough muscle because muscle is an endocrine organ as well. And this is actually a, a point that I always discuss with my patients, that they a muscle mass is essential for good metabolic uh, health. Mm. Because when we talk about like this is the largest organ, yes. right? So that, uh, or tissues, we would say tissues that 
consume that glucose, right? That utilize that yes. glucose and turn into energy. So, and another thing that uh, also should be measured is body composition or done body composition analysis. So for someone who is starting that journey to have the ratio between muscle mass and fat mass, right? And this is something that they would want to uh, monitor let's say every six months or once a year even so. And this is the reason why I'm very cautious about recommending those injectable weight loss medications yeah. because, uh, as I said, they can be uh, used. They have definitely have a place for implication, right, for type 2 diabetes patient. But we know that many people use that for weight loss, yes. right? So. Uh, and very soon, by the way, one of the uh, such medication will be uh, approved in here in UAE as a weight loss medication. So far, they are officially can be prescribed or only for type 2 diabetes patients. Mm. So mm. Uh, they still can be used, right? But exercise is a must. So first, I've, I recommend to my patient to do body composition analysis before they start uh, the treatment. Uh, and because this medication... Um, reduce the gastric emptying so and suppress the satiety center in the brain they have a tendency to eat much less it means go they're going uh, undernourished every day right so and they uh, they lose fat mass right fat tissues but they lose a lot of muscle mass if they really want it to be like a temporary to get just the result uh, to get just a quick result, they have to exercise. They have to maintain those muscles and they have to make sure that they're getting their daily protein, uh, they're meeting daily protein requirements. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, when you were talking about um, these medications, these injectables like <clears throat> Ozempic and Saxenda semiglutide, um, you know, I went to do a little bit of looking around and, and all of the recommendations alongside these injectables are a calorie, def, uh, sorry, a hypercaloric diet, so eating less calories, and exercise, which really are the two, probably two of the most effective weight loss strategies anyway. But this, like you said, these drugs, I think, could be dangerous for the fact that the amount of muscle mass loss and even bone density loss as well. Um, so there is this idea that when you lose weight, you are probably going to lose around about a quarter or a third of that as muscle mass. And the rest would be fat mass and, and water as well. But yeah, I, still, I, I don't think that's okay because this is what happens when you start to yo-yo diet because when you have lost weight, you just look at the scale and see the numbers go down. And then you say, okay, I'm going to go back to my normal life. Your metabolic, your, your resting metabolic rate has dropped because you have less muscle mass. So there's less active tissue needing energy. So ultimately, what do you do? You go back to your normal diet and you put on more weight than you had um, previously to going on the, the, the kind of weight loss strategy. So for me, strength training I think is super important. And as you said, muscle is this, it's like a, a glucose sink. It, it sucks up glucose from the bloodstream um, and really helps to regulate blood glucose levels. 
Um, what about sleep? What about stress management? Would, would you say they're two very important tactics in helping to reverse metabolic health conditions? Yeah, absolutely. Right. Because we know, we, we all know very well if we uh, didn't get enough of sleep. So the next day that will affect our behavior the next day. Right. Yeah. So it's more like a, a carbohydrate seeking behavior. Yeah. So, and we are more tired and it means we are more we have a more tendency to go for easier options. And what's easily available everywhere is carbohydrate. Yeah. Processed coffee, food. Pro processed food, coffee and croissant at every, mm. uh, in any shop where you go in, right? So uh, bread and, uh, I don't know, some like a toast with cheese. So mm. we are tired and we are not motivated to, to really take care of our food, food choices, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, could you just tell us a little bit about how stress affects our blood glucose, um, such as like a spike in cortisol, how that affects our blood glucose levels? Because I think it might be some, I, I think it may be something that's under, it's under acknowledged, the, the impact that stress has on our metabolism, our blood sugar. Could you tell us a little bit about what stress does? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So physiological response to stress is high a cortisol level cortisol because it's a catabolic uh, it's a catabolic hormone right so it affects our muscle mass right it affects our uh, gut health uh, and it affects our glucose levels so it rises our glucose levels and you might know people who actually gain weight when they're stressed so actually I have many uh, patients who would say um, uh, doctor, in this period of my life, I was going through very stressful uh, period. I wasn't sleeping well. I, I had a desk job and I gained 10 kg and I wasn't able to lose it. So yes, because your cortisol was very high at that moment. So uh, obviously low physical activity and interrupted or low quality of sleep, right? So the combination of three factors led to a weight gain. And what is a weight gain? Almost 99% of cases, it's an issue with metabolic uh, health. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's fascinating. A lot of people since the pandemic, sorry, during the pandemic, I see a lot of patients who said, you know, I just put on lots of weight during the pandemic. Um, I don't know whether you've had people coming in saying, you know, their, their levels of activity dropped, their stress levels went through the roof of various um, issues, whether it be losing a job or, you know, having their pay cut or having to stay at home. So many factors that really uh, disturb our autonomic nervous system, our sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. And, you know, we live in a world where there is so much access to information going on around the world. Um, and we know that when we look out into the bigger picture, we see a lot of things that can create a stress response in our bodies. Um, and I think, what advice do you give to people when it comes to managing their stress response? What kind of practical advice do you give? Um, that's a good question, because uh, easy to say, uh, you, you need to manage your stress. Yes, right? yes. It's easy, easy to say than to be done. So. And um, um, 
Actually, I, I feel so lucky to work at Osteopathic Health Center. I very often refer them to an osteopath. Mm. So either to uh, for craniosacral therapy mm. or it, uh, we have here uh, work classes as well, right? So, um, or our osteopath and physiotherapist can work on the breath as well. Mm. Mm. That's that's those are like the advices for those who need an immediate help on more on the high stress in the high stress, right? So I usually recommend them actually to um, find activity that they really love and enjoy, mm. like either yoga, Pilates, just for to get some uh, time just for for them to rest, relax, just shift their mind. Uh, I like to share uh, yoga meditation recording, yeah, yeah. so because I think that works very well Absolutely. Uh, for for many people. Um, those are my most common advice, yeah. I would use. We can support them with nutritional therapy as well, like some nutrients that have more relaxing and calming effect. Um, what do you think to adaptogens? So you've got things like rhodiola, you've got ashwagandha, um, ginseng, Siberian Sorry. ginseng. What, what's your uh, what's your experience with using or prescribing um, ad adaptogen herbs? I do. I, I recommend them when they're indicated, but not always for this high stressed person. I recommend this kind of uh, supplements. I recommend more for someone who we would call like a chronic fatigue patient. Okay. So yeah, depends. It really, it just it really depends. It's very hard to just like, give a more ge general uh, advice. But yes, I do use adaptogens. Actually, I recommend a lot of uh, taking hot shower before going to sleep mm. because just raising that body temperature, right? So, actually, has the opposite effect on the, on the body and cools down and helps to sleep deeper, mm. right? Yeah. Uh, so, and sauna in general, I really like to recommend it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, 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 a lot of people talk about morning routines. I, I think we should be talking more about evening routines as well. So how we prepare for sleep, how we really promote that pineal gland to be releasing, you know, the melatonin and, and, and to really be helping us prepare for a good night's sleep. Because I think many people, you know, they just stare at their screens until their eyes close and then they put their phone down and their brains are hyperstimulated. They haven't released enough melatonin and they're not going to get quality deep sleep you know that's um, true what do you think to uh these wearables that people use to monitor their sleep because i think there's a yeah i love them <laughs> you, you do like them yeah there's a, there's a real craze of hacking and you know uh, monitoring and things like that do you think that these wearables help when it comes to things like sleep i think they do again i think they again it's just like with continuous glucose monitoring right it they, those wearable devices or biofeedback devices, they teach you about your body because, okay, from my personal experiment, I can say, for example, late meals definitely uh, impact the, impair the quality of sleep. The heart rate, this resting heart rate stays like 10 points higher than it would normally be if, the, if dinner was, let's say, one hour earlier. So that's huge. So people can see if their sleep is actually you know, sufficient, if they uh, get enough of deep sleep and REM sleep. Uh, they can see uh, if they are tired, if you're really tired. So sometimes, you know, just the, how quickly they fall asleep, right? So that those um, devices give 
measure that uh, particular number as well. So I think, and in overall, just they uh, help to increase your awareness about your health. Yeah. I think yeah. that it's a really, really great tool and actually can guide you as well. So uh, even in your therapies and recommendations, sometimes it's just, yeah, it's an issue of uh, kind of reestablishing normal circadian rhythm. Yes. So it's, everything is fine, everything is normal, but the timing is wrong. So, and if the, if the patient is not aware of that, you can see that actually reflected in the numbers. So, and then they cannot deny that. Well, well, some people have cognitive dissonance, don't they? Because yeah, they do. I think you talked to you talked to me earlier about a patient who had been wearing a CGM. And they're watching their blood glucose go beyond like was it 120, yeah. 60 or something like that, um, and higher. Yeah, yeah. Um, so people can often see these measurements, and and maybe feel almost helpless to know what to do. But I think it's really good that people have a feedback. I think the best biofeedback is your own sensitivity. But I think people now are so overlaid with, with with um, toxic burdens, whether it's caffeine, whether it's junk food, uh, whether it's the amount of stress. So they're they're desensitized to their own body. So they can't actually get the sensitivity and feedback from their body. So they need wearables to be able to see the numbers and the, the you know, the calculations to make the changes because we've adapted to our modern environment by becoming desensitized, I think, by becoming more disassociated with our bodies. And the more sensitive you become to body, so it's like when you fast, if you fast for a few days, most of your senses become more acute, your taste your sense of hearing, your cognitive uh, clarity, um, your sense of smell. And so you increase the sensitivity to the, to the taste of food, to the, to the sound, to sounds, to stress. But I think most people are just overlaying burden upon burden to the point where they can't hear their bodies anymore. And I think this pertains to a lot of the uh, chronic diseases that we're seeing. People get so far down the line that they then need acute management or they, they, they need, uh, you know, allopathic treatment to, to really try to help them stop the, the cascade of their health. And then ultimately, I think, you know, this is where functional medicine can come in to help people get back to normal and beyond, you know, um, because I think, I think it was, I, I've quoted this before, Jiddu Krishnamurti said, it's no measure of health to be well adjusted to a profoundly sick society. And our social norms at the moment are pertaining to poor health as opposed to vibrant or good health. Now, you mentioned earlier about, you know, kind of integrative uh, collaboration with different practitioners. And here at the Osteopathic Health Centre, that is one of the ethoses of the clinic is to, you know, to, is to work as a team to elevate the health status of, of each individual. And I think it's it's we've shown that between each other because of this metabolic health program that we've been running. And we've had some good results with the metabolic health program. We've had weight loss. We've had, um, we, we've had blood pressure reductions. We've had um, insulin sensitivity increases, blood glucose levels um, you know, becoming more normalized. And, and that's just in eight weeks. So it does go to show, doesn't it, how quickly people can make significant changes when they are aware of the simple habits and behaviors that can really impact their, their, their health. Yeah. And the main point, it's reversible, right? It's reversible. It's not something that is, cannot be fixed, which is great. 
which is great. All it means just a little bit of education, um, encouragement, encouragement, support. support. Exactly. Yes. Maybe a bit of inspiration. Inspiration, up the new. What about a bit? What about a bit of tough love now and again? Because one thing I find is that it's become so easy to make bad decisions and bad choices that self-discipline is often not enough when you're constantly faced with temptation, right? You know, you work in a job that you're maybe not 100% happy in, you get stressed, you work long hours, you come away, you look for convenience, you go and get some junk food because it makes you feel good, you get a serotonin release. But that compounded and compounded is just creating more and more misery in the long run. So I think people need inspiration. People need to understand that our our physiology is mismatched with our environment and we have to be quite vigilant. So one thing I've written about is everybody should treat their health as if they have metabolic health issues. Everybody should treat themselves as if they have metabolic challenges because the things that you do to improve your metabolic health all improve your health span anyway, right? So whether it is exercise, whether it is eating a healthy diet, whether it is regulating your sleep, whether it is trying to, you know, kind of manage your stress response, we should all be doing this, right? Don't you think? I 100% agree with that. Well, Dr. Saida, um, just give us a few take-home tips. Just just think about your experience with patients, what you see generally. Um, what would you recommend? Give me three things that you would recommend everybody, every adult does or, you know, kind of interacts with for their overall health and vitality. Just give me three things. Let's start with, let's start with food. Give me one thing that people should be aware of with their food. Just as a general recommendation, yes. low glycemic. Low glycemic. Low glycemic. Yeah. Uh, or like a, Which means? Um, less carbohydrates. Yeah. Less like less carbohydrates, especially simple ones. Yeah. Yeah. So eating more whole foods, foods in their natural state, foods high in fiber, foods that release blood sugar slowly into your bloodstream as opposed to quickly, which is the more processed and refined foods. Okay. If you were going to give people one exercise tip, what would you recommend that they do? Strength resistant training. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Sorry, I'm you know you know me. I'm I'm biased, but you you look at the literature and you see that the two biggest markers of of longevity are your VO two max, so your 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 cardiovascular fitness and strength. So strength training is it's a must. It's it's a must. It should be on everyone's menu, right? And the third thing, um, give us a lifestyle tip. What what would you recommend that people do? in their everyday lives, apart from exercising and eating well, to, to, to help improve their... Rest and sleep. Rest and sleep. Yes, protect, 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 right? Okay. Well, Dr. Saida, I think this is the first of many conversations because I think you have such a gold mine of knowledge and experience and the people in Dubai, I think, really need to hear more of this because I think there's a lot of people who are you know kind of on a daily basis just struggling with their with their health they may be succeeding in other areas of their life whether it's professional monetary gain but 
at the sacrifice and at the detriment of their health. And I think that is real wealth, right? So I hope that we can talk again very soon. Thank you very much for sharing your wisdom and knowledge with us. And I look forward to um, our next encounter. 